Save or Die Podcast. My, my name is DM Vince. I'm sitting alongside legendary TSR alumni, Bruce Hurd. Mr. Hurd, how are you doing today? I'm doing just wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for sitting in with us. I have a couple questions for you today for this interview. A lot of people have added some questions in, too. So we'll try to get through them as uh, quickly as possible so you can get back to your daily routine. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. But I'd like to start off with a, a basic question. How did you get hired by TSR? Well, that's, uh, that's a bit of a long story. Uh, let's have a little fun with that. Sure. Um, back when I was a kid in France, haha, <laughs> I once got a bad cold. I was stuck in bed and bored, absolutely stiff. Um, I think out of pity, my mother brought me a model aircraft to build. Um, I remember that was a uh, North American Texan trainer from the World War II era. Um, sold under the Airfix brand. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, no very popular back in the um, early 70s. Anyway, from that point on, I developed a passion for building model airplanes. So how do we get from that to DMD? Yeah. Well, a year later, I went on vacation to the U.S. Uh, to be with my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, during a particularly boring afternoon, I asked him, please take me to a hobby store. And uh, there I found... Well, not D&D, as you would think, mm-hmm. but a box with uh, a really neat painting of a diving Messerschmitt 109. And the title in big, bold letters was Luftwaffe. <laughs> I thought, ooh, airplanes, I like this. Gimme, gimme, gimme. So I, I had a look at that, and basically that was my first encounter with war games. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up buying a copy of that Luftwaffe game and uh, another one of Panzer Blitz. And I was hooked with that. So that's how I developed an interest in history and geography, tabletop wargaming, that kind of stuff, board games in general, right. which still serves me now as a writer anyway. Years later, um, I moved to Paris, uh, where it found a job with, well, with Air France, more airplanes. <laughs> big surprise. Um, <laughs> since uh, I wasn't a truly big city, I went looking for a wargame club. I found one, or at least what I thought was one, and uh, what I was told is that they didn't run battalions or regiments, but more along the lines of running one warrior at a time, which I found really strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, so imagine that. How many players would it take to run an army uh, just one warrior at a time? That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, that was my first contact with Dungeons & Dragons. That's how I got introduced to role-playing games. Well, things went downhill from there. <laughs> I became involved with uh, writing D&D articles in French magazine uh, Cassius Billy. Mm. Um, I developed a friendly relationship with the editor-in-chief at the time. That was a guy called uh, François Marcelin Froidval. 
who happened to know Gary Gagex very well. Oh, wow. So when uh, Gary came looking for a translator to handle the French version, naturally Francois pushed my name forward. Uh, so obviously having both French and American nationalities helped uh, a great deal in, in uh, being able to move over to the States and work there. So several months later, uh, February 83, if I recall correctly, mm -hmm. I came to the States and joined TSR in Lake Geneva. Cool. That's the story. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it's a true story. I mean, I yeah. did not, you know, uh, pat it or anything like that. That's really what happened. I got a cold and I ended up being in Lake Geneva years later. Nice. Sneeze <laughs> so, and what, what happens? Boom. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to sneeze and get a job with TSR now. <laughs> yeah, right. That would be nice. Yeah. So uh, what was it like first meeting Gary and then later on working with Gary, Guy Gax? Well, meeting Gary was interesting. Uh, I met him in a hotel in Paris, and uh, we just had a, a long chat, a very relaxing chat about the company and what he was doing. And uh, that's when I discovered uh, things like, oh, what was it, Star Frontiers and, and the basic Jimmy game. I didn't even know that existed at the time. So he just wow. pulled out those boxes and tossed that on the table and said, hey, have a look at that. Tell me what you think. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a fun discussion. And uh, after I moved to Lake Geneva, I didn't really work that much with Gary directly since I was translating. Mm. But there was one occasion where uh, I learned much to my dismay that employees at TSR never, ever should dare edit Gary's work. <laughs> and, oh, I scared myself with that one. I had done just the very thing while translating uh, one of his products, and uh, when I discovered uh, some game issues, sacrilegious me, mm -hmm. I applied the appropriate corrections. Of oh, course. Gasp. <laughs> so when somebody said, oh, Bruce, I can't believe you did this. He's going to kill you. I'm like, oh, God, what did I do now? So I sent him a note explaining the, the errors of my way, basically, and got a response thanking me for the good work. So I walked away from that one, scratching my head, <laughs> wondering what the whole trouble was about. So fortunately and unfortunately, I didn't get to work with much of Gary's work, mm -hmm. um, but um, Gary struck me more as a, as a grandfatherly figure. Personally, I kind of liked him. Mm -hmm. um, he's a really friendly guy, and, uh, you know, who, who wouldn't like him anyway? Of course. Now, you met with Gary, you spent time with Gary. Did you have any uh, time with Dave Arneson at all? Pardon me? Did you have spend, spend any time working with Dave Arneson or have contact with him oh, at all? Or? Dave Arneson. Well, Dave Arneson, um, I met him uh, when the Blackmore Project fell on my lap. Right. Uh, Arneson wasn't working at TSR and right. uh, visited only occasionally when he had business with Gary or um, later on with Lorraine Williams. Since he was tied directly to the, the basic and expert box sets, uh, of course, he and I got along just fine. Uh, he was very grateful that I had taken the whole line under my wing, uh, especially since uh, after Frank Manser's departure. Um, I remember one conversation we had about Blackmore, and uh, in particular the Egg of Coot, um, unfortunately, Arneson would only refer to uh, the Egg of Coot in, in some confusing generalities. <laughs> and um, he would really not get down to details as to what it really was. Yeah. I remember that just bugged me like, like you wouldn't believe. 
Well, eventually what happened is all these um, campaign notes went to the author, David Ritchie, who wrote modules uh, DA1 to 4. Right. So he ended up with all the, the campaign notes. So to this day, I still do not know what the executive is. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's funny how it works. And then Dave passed, passed away, so I, I never got around to, to actually cornering him on the issue. Yeah, wow, interesting. That's something that maybe someone knows that can write in and tell us. Yeah. So I have some uh, questions that some fans sent in. Uh, which Mistar product, product excuse me, or invention are you most proud of? Okay. Um, hmm, a bit of a loaded question here. Yeah. For my part, uh, I'd say the whole Gazetteer line, really, um, these products were groundbreaking in many ways, um, including their format, um, contents, artwork, uh, map style, mood, uh, and so forth, that kind of stuff. The Gazetteers brought uh, new life to a system that I think was largely ignored by the bulk of uh, hobby gamers. It, um, the Gazetteers really prevented the uh, Basic Expert Companion series uh, to become uh, a total backwater mm-hmm. um, but that's, I think that's only part of my answer because I would think that one of the biggest achievements for uh, Mistala and the um, Basic Expert line in general has to be the Rules Cyclopedia. Um, much of the credit goes to Aaron Alston and uh, Stephen Chan, who completed uh, what I think is an immense task. It was truly huge. Um, it was very relevant to the game as a whole since it compiled all the rules from four box sets, um, depicted part of Mistara, and um, basically organized all that stuff in uh, in a sane, manageable manner. That's a huge amount of stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember that this was um, this was really a tough sell to get it approved by TSR's upper management. There was doubt as to whether it was needed, uh, whether we'd be able to complete such a, such an enormous project in time or all, <laughs> and whether it would be uh, it would sell enough to make up for production and printing costs. Um, I think this was uh, the biggest book published by old TSR to this date. Um, if I remember correctly, the DMG numbered uh, around 240 pages, more or less while the Cyclopedia uh, came close to 300, yeah. and, and all that in small type, really. Um, but eventually, it did sell enough for profit, and um, there was no doubt that it was needed on the market. <laughs> There's uh, another one, and that, that's just a tidbit, really. Uh, there was another achievement um, that came in the form of trail maps. Um, everyone kind of looked at me as if I, I'd come from Mars uh, when I first brought that one up. The, the folks in purchasing, these are the, um, the people who dealt with um, the, the printing vendors, since we right. didn't own our own printers. Right. Um, they took care of uh, purchasing materials, um, shipping boxes, and stuff like that. They, they kind of just shook their heads um, in disbelief when uh, uh, we were considering something like roadmaps for Fantasy World. Um, but in the end, it all worked out. Everybody was very happy. Definitely. Romax is awesome. That's a great idea. <laughs> so what was it like working with Aaron? Well, here's the true professional. I'd say Aaron is a very talented, level-headed, and reliable freelancer. 
I admired his patience and his ability to complete the work despite design challenges. And let me tell you, we had plenty of those, believe me. Uh, <laughs> we only could meet during conventions because he lived in Texas, and of course being in Wisconsin didn't help for us. Yeah. Uh, so we spent a lot of time on the phone um, addressing design issues. And uh, in, uh, in the long run, I was very fortunate to have been able to count upon Aaron as a major contributor to the D&D product line. I, I think his impact has been tremendous. Mm-hmm. Cool. Any other person you'd like to uh, name back in the day you worked with that was awesome to work with? <laughs> there would be a lot of people. Uh, Someone that stands out in your mind. Two, pardon me? Someone that really stands out in your mind. Well, here's this. Uh, I loved working with the two lead mappers in the graphics department. That's uh, Dave Sutherland, mm-hmm. who is now deceased, unfortunately, yeah. and Dennis Kalf. Uh These two enjoyed working on the Gazetteers because of the amount of details and uh, instructions that we gave them to work from. Usually they complain about not having enough of it. Uh, they provided uh, a lot of design input as regards the graphic looks of the Mistara maps, which today have become a standard with hex-based uh, hex maps and mapping programs. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, but if you, kind of, uh, if you go on uh, Google and you start looking around for hex maps, Mm-hmm. Uh, or programs to make maps like that, they all use the Mistara symbols. Yeah. It's amazing. So anyway, I spent a lot of time working with them directly. Uh, for example, uh, positioning map tags on uh, on the maps while they keyed all the stuff. None of that stuff was done on computers back then. Um, this was all keyed manually with acetate layers and cut-and-paste labels and that kind of stuff, so it was it was pretty involved. And, and, of course, every time we, we ran into an area of the map that looked a, a little bare, I would just rush off back to my office and come up with a bunch of new names and uh, print that, you know, go to Keyline, have them uh, print out a bunch of tags, and uh, we'd shoot those and cut them up and put them back on the map. So <laughs> there, there was a lot of uh, camaraderie there and a lot of humor involved uh, as we were working on those maps. You can imagine that. I also truly liked dropping by the art department to check on the progress of um, uh, a cover painting, for example. Usually, it was uh, Clyde Caldwell's work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Clyde's work. Uh, well, he did all, pretty much all the gas deer covers. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd just, I just come in and peer at the canvas from over his shoulder and, and, and kind of marvel at his creations. And Typically, he'd kind of relax, you know, and observe me from the corner of his eye kind of displaying a hint of a knowing smile while I was just raving. Uh, you know, these are all just fond memories. It's it's kind of how things happened back then. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting how they did everything on Canvas back then. Now you look today, you see everybody doing everything on a computer or... Exactly. Or those exactly. trace pad things. It's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, we had, uh, we had key liners doing all the key line work and stuff like that. It's very different now. What was the... Uh, off topic for a second real quick. What was the atmosphere like in the TSR offices? Um, there were a lot of camaraderie, especially among creatives. There, there were always jokes going on and, and fun, amusing things taking place. Uh, I remember very fondly uh, the days where the designers would um, stage a raid on the editors, and especially the book department's <laughs> editors, 
so we'd be skulking down the hallways with uh, Nerf pistols and uh, and crossbows and uh, ambushing each other and running back and forth. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, we did stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. When I spoke to Margaret Weiss a while back, she was telling me a story how they were using water guns and rolling around on chairs trying to hide from each other. So you're another person yep. that confirms something like that. Yep, that's absolutely true. Every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what do you think made the Gazetteers, well, depending on who you talk to, so popular or not so popular? Well, they were popular because they were exceedingly creative, mm -hmm. um, colorful, detailed, and of high quality in general. Many of them were created as a labor of love, truly. Uh, the art was good, uh, both cover and internal illustrations. Uh, the maps were fantastic. Uh, the contents were very much appreciated for providing um, a ton of information to the players and to the DM. Um, and uh, they had adventure hooks. Um, they had unconventional playing aids. Um, and they were often designed with a player, uh, a player section and a DM supplement, which at the time was, was cutting edge. Yeah. So all of that put together and the consistency of the gazetteers uh, really proved uh, extremely popular among those who knew about them. It's kind of, you know, one of those best-kept secrets out there. <laughs> wow. Very cool. So when you were writing the Princess arc, what was it like, and did you ever feel like giving up on that? Giving up? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I wrote the the series at home after office hours as a freelancer. Oh, Dragon Magazine back then paid contributing in-house staffers very well, so no complaints here. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. At the time, uh, Roger Moore was the editor in chief. He and I got along very well. Uh, he had no problems dealing with my occasional French syntax and other linguistic challenges creeping into my English, which made more than one editor roll over laughing. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, that's real. That's uh, that's reality for you. Uh, he liked the idea of the Princess Arc uh, right from the beginning, and after a few articles, pretty much gave me carte blanche. Mm, great. <laughs> he was uh, able to secure eventually a color page f uh, in the magazine for the maps, um, and since there were very few of those, um, they they did come at a premium. Considering the success of the Princess Arc, he was happy to maintain the series as long as it lasted. Uh, even at the cost of expensive color maps, uh, and so was I. I was very happy about that. Um, despite the very long days, uh, I very much enjoyed writing these articles. Uh, to me, each one came as uh, a new adventure of sorts mm -hmm. that helped me escape the daily demands of managerial challenges at the office. So, I no, I, <laughs> given the opportunity, I would have never gave up that, that particular role. Awesome. So uh, what do you think about the Mistara fan community? Well, um, <laughs> I'd say I am very impressed. Um, hang on a second here. There we go. Um, they hung in there for years, yeah. coming up with, with, with truly wonderful stuff, uh, patching up holes, uh, fixing up. Uh, errors and uh, inconsistencies, um, designing new areas. So basically, they, they kept the flame burning. Um, there is one person in particular to whom I would like to address my thanks. That's a Briton now living in Japan 
Uh, his name is Thorfinn Tate, mm -hmm. and he was able to produce perfect replicas of gazetteer maps and then updated, improved versions of them. Wow. Uh, the result, I tell you, the result is nothing short of amazing. To, to achieve this, Torf emulated all of the hex symbols and colors using the originals. Um, he went as far as finding the appropriate fonts for the titles, map tags, and legends. I mean, kudos, Torf. This is just fantastic. There are a number of good websites where to track down this type of material such as the Piazza, the Vaults of Pandius, and um, there, there are a number of Mistara pages on Facebook also. Uh, this, to me, reflects a tremendous effort by faithful and dedicated fans. And quite frankly, I salute them all. Awesome. You're currently you're involved with one right now, too, called Mistara Reborn on Facebook. Yeah, I, I've launched a blog just a, a few weeks ago, and I'm starting to, uh, to populate that with, uh, with new material. Give the fans something to uh, bite on, chew, and use. You bet. You bet. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, back from your TSR days, is there anything you regret doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have regrets not being at TSR. <laughs> you know, after being there some 15 years, TSR became a second family. Yeah. Um, I, I do miss the good old times, something fierce. I miss my friends, um, the unique work environment. Uh, the humor and camaraderie, uh, the privilege of working with the uh, the object of my passion. Um, I was truly a fan of D and D when I was hired, so imagine how I felt. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, you know, if if such a thing were possible, I'd go back in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. And yes, I do regret these old days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too bad we can't go back. We can only go forward. Oh well. Yeah. Oh, well, there's no more TSR. Well, supposedly. So, if you had a chance to write... You're sitting... Okay, let's just say that TSR still existed. You had a chance to write one more Mistara product before the line was canceled. Gary said, write me something amazing before I cancel this product. What would you have written? Well, I think we had done that pretty much with uh, Wrath of the Immortals. Um, so, I think in this case, it's not so much uh, what else to write about, but... What I would have done differently, okay. uh, given that option, I think I would have split Dawn of the Emperors into two related products, um, one devoted entirely to Thyatis and the other to its rival empire, Alphacia. Uh, this approach would have provided better support for the two empires, as well as uh, space and opportunities to develop uh, some much-needed detail and game aspects that were not possible within a single box set. That, that is my chief regret as far as what we did with Mistara. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, uh, many of the areas I wanted to explore were eventually visited through the Princess Arc series in Dragon Magazine. Um, did I want to unveil more? Well, yeah, of course. Uh, that was uncharted terrain, so it was like a, a blank page. Uh, since um, since I've returned to writing recently, I'm, I'm now spending uh, more time uh, designing new aspects of the game and of Mistara. I recently released on my blog uh, an article on the Xinti, a race of Leonine warriors distantly related to the, the popular broadcast. I don't know if you're familiar with the Savage Ghost, but it kind of spins off from there. Right. 
Um, I'm presently working on another article about the uh, ooh, mysterious Nagpa. It's a it's a cursed race of vulture-like demi-humans. Um, so you know there there's still opportunities to come up with fresh new material from Astara. Uh, so we don't have to wait for the product line to die or be concerned about it having died. Um, we can just keep on writing anyway. Right. Life goes on, right? Yeah, it definitely goes on. There you go. <laughs> uh, I meant to always ask you, did you have any input on Hollow World at all or no? Hollow World? Well, yeah. Uh, I was the primary uh, impetus behind the Hollow World. Uh-huh. Um, the the general idea um, was basically uh, mine in a, in a very global uh, manner. Um, but the design itself, the actual... Uh, the actual work was Aaron Alston's. Yes. So, as we did uh, countless times in the previous years, he and I just spent a lot of time on the phone going back and forth, uh, you know, Aaron saying, well, you're asking for X, Y, and Z. Okay, I like the two first ones. I don't like the last one. It doesn't seem to write because here's my reasons. Okay, well, let's pitch this. Let's do something else. So there was a lot of going back and forth between uh, Aaron and I mm-hmm. to try to make the product work so that by the time he was finished designing it, there would be no misunderstandings or, or uh, conflicts or anything like that. Not at all. So by the time it went to the editor, the, the thing was in the can, it was good. Oh, yeah. I have to say it's one of my favorite worlds to play in. Once I got into the world, it was just like, this world is awesome. So, uh, Hollow World, you, you mean? Yeah, Hollow World. I th- thank you for that, definitely. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about why the uh, Blackmore references in Mistara products. Oh boy, uh, that's one of those clunky ones. Blackmore is a setting that was basically retrofitted into Mistara yes. as a result of agreements between um, Lorraine Williams and uh, Dave Arneson, uh to publish Blackmore as part of the basic expert line as opposed to AD&D. So there was a move to take it away pretty much from uh, from Greyhawk, although that really didn't actually happen, but there was a desire to steer it away from Greyhawk and uh, bring it into Mystara. The problem is Mystara was designed um, in a totally different fashion, and early on, uh, Blackmore certainly wasn't a part of it, so it had to be retrofitted into that uh, the game setting. Um, so, because of that, there are a lot of references that crop up here and there as a way to situate Blackmore vis-a-vis the um, the mainstream Mystara. Let's call it this. So, Blackmore um, was made a part of Mystara's past history. Uh, resulting with uh, a great big cataclysm at one point, which marked uh, Mistara's year zero. And that's uh, that's another reason why Blackmore keeps popping up. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's an odd situation. We we hadn't expected to deal with Blackmore, so that kind of landed all of a sudden from above. <laughs> we had to work with that, so that, that was an odd one. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, so which Mistara product do you think is most the most underrated product in the line? Boy, that is really a tough one to answer. It's really a question of personal tastes, and I, I bet some people might strenuously disagree with anything that I'd come up with. So let me say this instead. The most underrated 
is the entire BCMI product line, the, the basic expert companion all the way up to Immortal, that entire line was vastly underrated by the largely AD&D-centric community based on the assumption that it was designed for beginners, i.e., dumbed down. Mm-hmm. Well, it, the basic set was intended for beginners, but it didn't mean dumbed down, and that is the biggest thing we had to fight against. So a lot of people believe that. So as a whole, uh, the basic expert uh, line um, often turn out every bit as good, um, well, as good as, if not better than, the AD&D product line. I'd say the gazetteers are a clear proof of that. Wouldn't you agree? I definitely agree. Yeah. So there you have it. That's that's what I think is most underrated in, in Mistara and Basic Expert. It's basically the entire product line. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. I mean, I'm not inventing that. That's, that's something that I've been dogging the... Uh, uh, the series uh, from the beginning, so it definitely was an uphill battle to get it recognized by uh, the rest of the community. Well, I was just looking at your uh, Mistara Reborn group here on Facebook, and uh, yeah, we Save or Die podcast did do an actual play podcast of Castle Amber. Oh, nice! Yeah, I'll have to go find it then. It was, uh, it was. I think that I don't know if they ever concluded it or not. It was maybe one or two. Uh, Episodes, but we actually have a bunch of actual play podcasts for the OSR community to listen to. I'm running an Oriental Adventures game every week as we speak right now, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's fun. Well, that might be an interesting idea. Maybe like the Mistara setting and try doing uh, an actual play for that, or the Hollow World, which I really love. So. Well, I'm I'm really happy that you turned out to be uh, uh, Mistara slash Hollow World fan. That's that's tremendous. Oh yeah, that was. I remember that. I remember having that box set when I was a kid in my room, and like looking over at night trying to hide it from my parents because you know D and D was evil back then. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> and my mom. Was, I didn't have to put up with it, so yeah. I guess I'm lucky. I had to deal with that. My mom always thought D and D was evil, and it was like you know, demon and devil, and that's what D and D stood for to her. So <laughs> every time I talked to my friends about it on the phone, she'd be creeping in the background, listening. What was that about? What is this about a demon you have to attack? And why is you take casting the spell? Are you involved with satanic satanicism and stuff like that? So right, no, right, mom, right. it's just a game. It's just a game. <clears throat> so, well, so, that's funny. Yeah. So what can we expect from you from the future? What, what, what's gonna be, what are you going to be doing in the future? Really, this is a transitional period for me, so I'm not exactly sure how this is going to develop as far as um, uh, being relevant to the market in general, to Mistara, to the fans, um, or um, writing in general. Um, I'm interested uh, not only in developing some uh, some Mistara material for the fans because they deserve it and I enjoy it. So that's always a, that, that's that's a given, I guess. Um, otherwise, I'm also writing fiction material uh, that is completely unrelated to Mistara. It's still fantasy, but it's completely unrelated. And that's the biggest if right now. That the industry, the publishing industry, has changed so much that I find it very difficult right now to get back into it and get some attention for, for those novels. Um, currently, I'm looking for an agent and, or a publisher. Um, and failing that, um, I'll have to resort to, uh, well, my co-author, Jenna Diva Pack, and I will have to, to resort to self-publishing. So 
there's a, a very high learning curve here that uh, we have to get past in order to really understand the process of electronic publishing, self-publishing through Amazon, that kind of stuff, marketing, advertising, and, and being able to uh, to sell these products in uh, in a way that is professional, that reflects what we want to do, and that is uh, that is rewarding, certainly financially. So. Uh, yeah, that, that's a big if right now. We're working pretty hard on that one. If anybody wants to contact you or get to your blog, what's the blog address for you? The blog address is bruce uh, com. Okay, and they can find you on Facebook, and you're pretty chatty Facebook, on there, as yep. I know. <laughs> yeah, all you have to do is either look for me, Bruce Hurd, or go to the In the Star of Reborn page, and you'll most definitely find me there. Awesome. So, last question I always ask this of everybody is a surprise question. So, if you could be a household appliance, which household appliance would you be and why? The coffee machine. The coffee machine. <laughs> the espresso machine, man. <laughs> Got to keep the energy up, right? Yep. That would be me. Okay, awesome. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining me today. You bet. Thanks for inviting me. You have a good one.